Amy Ingerbretson here, professional skier, dog mom, cat lover, podcaster, and your host for Warren Miller Entertainment's Long Underwear. In this podcast, we are sitting down with world-class athletes, industry legends, experts, and mountain lovers from all walks of life. Nothing is off limits except for one rule. After introductions, there will be no more mentions of skiing or snowboarding allowed. We are stripping off the layers and getting to know the skiers and riders underneath the gear. Welcome to Long Underwear. Hello, Long Underwear friends. Welcome back. Amy Ingerbretson here, of course, your host. Now, some of you may have noticed that we have taken a break from recording, but we wanted to bring you one of our final episodes that was just too good not to share. Good news. There's more fun ahead. Be on the lookout this fall and join me on the road as Warren Miller returns to theaters. Yay! Warren Miller's 72nd annual feature film, Winter Starts Now, will be hitting the road once again starting in October. Join in on the action and follow along as I take you to some of the best shows live on the Warren Miller Entertainment Instagram account, where you'll get an inside look at all the fun. You can also get exclusive access to the film and tour when you join Outside Plus. Now, let's jump into my chat from this past winter with none other than Cody Townsend. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Long Underwear. Of course, I am your host, Amy, and today on the podcast, I have um, quite the ski celebrity, I guess we call it that, <laughs> Mr. Cody Townsend. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, we're, I'm, I'm glad you're here. I've, been, I've wanted to get you on the podcast basically the whole go, so here we are, finally. Yeah. We've tried a few times, but uh, I guess my celebrity status keeps me a little busy. Such a celebrity. You're so so wanted. You're so, so hot right now. So, so. hot right now. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're here. Um, and I guess we'll just – so we're not supposed to talk about skiing on this podcast, but we do talk about it for a second. Okay. So while we're still in the skiing allowed portion of the podcast, obvious question, what's the update on the 50 Project? The 50 will continue in 2021. Um, right now, it's going to be a little while before I end up right. starting to kind of – uh, go on the line hunt. So I have 20 lines left, 30 completed That's it? At this point. Only 20 left? Yeah, only 20. But it's like I'm more than halfway in number, but it doesn't feel like I'm actually halfway in terms of difficulty because I got a lot of the hard ones coming up. And right. those are the ones that are going to take between two to 20 years, as I tell people, because sure. I mean, some of these lines have only been skied once or twice in history. What's the one up in the wrangle? Uh, Mount St. Elias and University Peak. And those two, I mean, I've seen one descent and two descents in 25, 30 years. So, right. um, and the conditions for them have to be absolutely perfect. And you could try 10 years in a row and never have the right conditions. So, so the, the difficult stuff is still to come, but, um, this year I'm going to continue, like we'll be kind of we feel like it's kind of a safe, responsible way to travel with BRNA and I kind of living out of our trucks. our vans and trucks yeah. and being able to drive camp trailheads. Like we won't do anything more than go into a grocery store and a gas station, which we all do locally Anyways, anywhere. Right. So, and then we're in the back country deep away from people. So uh, the tricky part will be getting into Canada if they let us in. I mean, that is just, that's my question of 2021. Yeah. Will Canada let us in? <laughs> please please. come back to Canada. I promise we'll be good. No. Uh, we're all dying here as we're watching it just continually pound snow up there and all of Western North America, except for the Pacific Northwest, is pretty much high and dry and super sketchy. So it's tough. Um, it's a different all, go. Yeah, totally. I've been I've been doing like carving drills. Like I've been going out on like tiny little solemn skis and just like 
uh, just ripping groomers like hard though and like trying to like <laughs> totally I agree we're all like kind of forced back to our original kind of like okay well how do I how do I make fun of having no snow and it's actually we like we were talking about earlier it's been fun regardless mm-hmm. I mean identifying skiing in all conditions being fun you can always find something to something. kind of work out um you know obviously you always strive for deep pow but you can always kind of find something yeah, it's true. And but for you for the 50 project, you usually wouldn't get going heavy on that to the spring anyway, right? Yeah, and especially now because the majority of the lines are the kind of lines that come into condition and into safe condition, like avalanche conditions more in the spring. So, uh all the early season lines that are potential, some of the easier ones, some of the ones that are like have stable conditions early in the season are all kind of ticked off at this point. Mm-hmm. So, so I probably won't hit the road till about mid-February, um maybe even early March and then and then and have a really busy spring. So mm-hmm. that's kind of the plan for 2021. Nice. Well, and if for those of you listening that haven't watched the mountain, why, which is kind of like, you've been doing these kind of short movies basically with each season. Um, that looked like a, quite the suffer. I can't say I like didn't watch it. I was like, Oh, I never want to do that. <laughs> There's part of me that after that trip was like, yeah, I don't know if I'll do that again. We, we, you know, list that the types of fun, there's type one, type two, and type three fun. And type one fun is fun while you're doing it. Type two fun is fun after you do it. And type three fun is never fun. Never fun. <laughs> but you're kind of maybe glad you at least did it. Like that kind of, that trip bordered on type three at points. Like by the end, it was like, this is miserable. Is, um, is it, the title, is this a dumb question, spoof from River Y? Yeah, okay. yeah. That's it was what totally I assumed. Cause. Yeah, and it was mainly because one the central thesis of the the film was kind of like the question why, why like yeah. why do we do these things why do we voluntarily I mean, go I, on massive suffer fests <laughs> i don't understand it personally <laughs> yeah a lot of people don't and i don't understand it ultimately as well so it's kind of i ask myself quite often like why am i drawn to these things and then it was played off the river why which is one of my favorite books mainly just because it's like a story of how a river shapes the life of a young boy and i feel like the mountains have done the same for me mm-hmm. and so it's kind of like it was definitely a play off of off that book and a tribute to it well to me it was that part of it I loved. <laughs> I can't say I was inspired to do any of that, but <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I get a lot of feedback as I've heard is like, yeah, I definitely don't want to do that after watching your film. So I'm like, cool, great. But I mean, like in a lot of ways, like I know Elise, your wife, and I kind of are similar in this way. Like, I don't, I don't really want to do anything you're doing on the 50 projects. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people don't, and I don't fault them for that. We don't ski very good snow, and it's a lot of suffering. And you know, bringing Elise on her first uh, kind and of she crushed it though. Yeah, she absolutely crushed it. But it was funny to give her on her first like ski mountaineering adventure with crampons and ice axes. She'd been in an episode before, but like for this one, and then happened to be just like the worst snow possible. Yeah, <laughs> and ski, a, a line that involved like yeah uphill both ways and I was like yeah. kind of threw her I completely sandbagged her into one of the worst lines That's of the what entire you people do you type two type three funners you're also big sandbaggers yeah I know your type definitely big sandbaggers I don't know why it is maybe we because we laugh at our own misery we want to laugh at the misery of others sometimes yeah well Oh, then there's us, those of us that just like to ski good snow. <laughs> yes, yes, there is that. And it, it has has left me craving some good snow in the future, but good yeah. snow's not going away anytime. No, it'll be back, even if it's not here right now. It'll no. be here another day. Yeah. I assume at some point we will go back to Canada. I, at some point it will even or snow else, here in Tahoe. I need to adjust my life partner and find a Canadian. <laughs> there you go. Totally. I once looked into it. I was like, uh, I, my grandpa is Canadian. Oh, and I was like, wait, isn't that 
Yeah, except for I looked into it in 2013. I was like, and and I was reading about it. I was like, wait, my grandpa's Canadian. I can get dual citizenship. Um, he has to be your dad. As of 2012, they made it only next of kin. Oh, I was oh, like, what a loser for not figuring that out two years earlier. Two years earlier, I've been fine. Oh. I would have had a dual citizenship and could have done it. But yeah, I live, live and learn. Oh, man, that's a little heartbreaking. Yeah, totally. Well, um, let's not talk about skiing anymore. How, how are you with that? Um, otherwise, I mean, it's hard to not talk about skiing because skiing is my life, but, uh, uh, Your otherwise life good. Is much more depth in depth. Than yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, no, it's been good. Uh, I've been busy on the kind of business side of, of things, kind of planning for this year's 50 project, um, doing all the, the, the business stuff that no one sees of being a pro skier. Um, yeah. and you know, it, there's I, a lot more of that than people realize. Yeah. It's well, what I always say is it's a job. It's a job like a lot of other jobs. It's a job with amazing benefits that you get to go ski around the world and travel the world and ski amazing snow and go to really cool places. And like your best days are the most incredible days you can imagine and dream of. But there's a lot of stuff on the back end that is like a job. And um, I to keep up on the back end of stuff is the only way to continue to fund totally. these dreams and these adventures. So, so yeah, I, I, you know, I was in meetings at 7am this morning already. So many meetings, so many emails, Excel spreadsheets, the whole nine yards. I know. I don't, I don't like, I don't like complaining about it, but I also like showing that like, sometimes I say like, if I loved to just ski, 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 I wouldn't be a professional skier. Like what I love is, is the creation part of it, the work part of it, the, you know, the, the, it's not just me skiing. It's, it's you, we, all of us, we're working to like share something. I agree. I, I just look at it as it's not a complaint. It's just like a reality check for a lot of people. And I especially try and translate it to young kids that are trying to get into the industry. And that lesson was learned to me pretty early on that like you treat it like a job because totally. it is a job. Um, you can't just go ski and expect money to come. Like it doesn't work that way. And so treating it like a job is essential to be able to do a really amazing job. So um, why try and tell young kids that are wanting to get into it, wanting to be professional skiers that like, look, you got to, you got to be very active on social media. You got to do things on the back end, following up with emails. You have to be planning out budgets, learn how to write proposals. You need, you really need to do things on the back end and on the computer in order to make this dream a reality. So, well, and if you want to be a professional skier, you have to be a professional. That's yeah, so. exactly. Well, okay. This is the no S word part of the Podcast is starting now. If you say the S word, you owe me something. I don't know what it's going to be this season that you owe me, but no S word. You ready? Ready. Cool. Okay. So piggybacking away from the S word, um, sometimes I talk about on the podcast with guests of like alternate athletic careers, and I feel mm -hmm. like you're a really funny candidate for this because you, over the course of your life, while you've been a fantastic S worder in a lot of different ways, growing up, everything, you... We're also really adept at other sports, namely surfing. And my understanding, I can't remember if I've actually seen this picture at your parents' house or if I just saw it in like the spoof of a matchstick movie of you, like st star high school QB, like. <laughs> yes, football. Um, yeah, no, so I grew up in Santa Cruz and I, yeah, I grew up 
surfing. Uh, grew up on the beach. Across um, the street from like a sick surf break. Yeah, totally. I grew up at Little Wind and Sea right in Santa Cruz. Grew up surfing the point and uh, kind of had, I would almost say like a split identity. Um, uh, when I would come up to the mountains, I was a skier. And then when I was down there, I was a surfer. But I was also a football player, which was even different for back then. Like I in the early days of action sports, action sports were kind of a rebellion against traditional sports and you mm -hmm. weren't allowed to like other sports. So like if you skated and you surfed, you didn't play football. So even I almost right. had like a triple personality because at school I hung out with all the surfers, the guys I would go out um, and hang out with and surf with. But then I also played on the football team and I was like the only guy that did that. Nowadays, I feel like there's more crossover. You see action sports stars repping their favorite football teams and baseball teams. And it's like, there's no division among them, but yeah. back then there really was. So, um, I definitely kind of led this double life, even in Santa Cruz of like multiple friend groups and being on the football team and yeah, being a Sounds surfer. Sounds like the plot for some like epic 90s movie like yeah, 90s high school <laughs> totally and the funny thing was it was like I this like split personality too and people always like uh bring up the fact that yeah I was like you know captain of the football team quarterback and uh and then I also dated the head cheerleader while -uh. in high school yeah -uh. it was like all American <laughs> but that life wasn't really cut out for me um I my my dad was uh football coach his entire career he was like a um, unbelievable college player tried out for the pros wow. he was obsessed with surfing too so he didn't give like uh football his whole uh, his all kind yeah. of and I think he always like had a little bit of regret that like oh he probably could have played pro um but he was also so obsessed with surfing that he was like mm, not really so like he tried out for the 49ers but he's involved in football his whole life and of course I grew up around it and I would go to the practice fields growing up and so I it was like destined there was no chance I wasn't playing football yeah but it was also I loved it and I still love it so um I played in high school I got some uh, offers um, for D1 schools to walk on. I got some scholarship offers at D2 schools. and um, But I do remember this very specific time of at UNR. I got I had done some football camps there, and they were like, yeah, we want you to come on. We, we won't offer you a scholarship, but you can walk on, and mm -hmm. um, you'd probably make the team, and you know, we might give you a scholarship the next year's if you, if you make the team and whatnot. And I was talking with the coach and I was like, I was like, so how much time do we have off in the winter? It was like my <laughs> first question, which is probably a massive red flag to him. Right. And he, he was, I was like in between, you know, at the end of season and then when does uh, spring football start? And he's like, so he's like, if we don't go to a bowl game, you have about a month off. And if oh. we do go to a bowl game, you have about two weeks off. And I just sat there and I was like, that's like in December and January and that's it. And I was like, wait, so. I would have a month off to go skiing. And at that point I was like, no, I can't no. do this. Yeah. And uh, I actually ended up going to UNR, but I didn't walk on on the football team. And then I I broke my femur that year. I moved back to Santa Cruz, back with my parents, <sighs> went to community college, and then just like went to normal college after that. And I think my dad held out hope for a long time. Like even I was like going to UC Santa Cruz and he was thinking I might like transfer one day and go to play football <laughs> somewhere. But I, I looked at it as I always tell this kind of story. It was like, um, my, uh, godparents and my godbrother, um, is, uh, he was an NFL quarterback. He was drafted in the top 10, um, in the NFL. He won a Super Bowl with the Ravens. I grew up around him. Trent Dilfer was his name. He was a professional quarterback forever. And I grew up around him and got to watch him growing up. And I watched him just be 
unbelievably better at sports than any other human. It was like in high school, he was a man among boys. He would just single-handedly take over uh, uh, games, like just win games by himself. And then I watched him go to the pros and I was in high school and he's in the pros and he was like kind of a middling average quarterback. Mm -hmm. He's always labeled as like the game manager quarterback that won a Super Bowl. And I remember thinking, I'm like, I am nowhere near athletically as talented as Trent is. And he's middle of the pack. He's middle of the pack. I'm like, my prospects to make a career out of being a football player is absolutely nil. Like, I have no chance to do that. Like, I am <laughs> not. He was like 6'3", 220 in high school and can run like a Whoa. 4 or 5, 40. He was like a beast. And I'm like, <laughs> I am not that. So it actually helped me make a decision like in college and be like, they're like, I'll play football for four years and then I'm done. done and then, yeah. and then I kind of waste my chance to do what I was dreaming of, which was being a skier. Yeah. Well, you, you kind of, I guess, answered like my part two of that question is, and I think surfing comes into this too, is like, so say that, you know, maybe skiing is like your true talent, but if you were to end up a pro athlete in a different sport, like which one would you choose? And which one do you think you would be like most adept at? Like, do you think you had what it took to be a pro surfer had you gone that route or, or like, which one would you choose? Cause most people just say like, Oh, surfer. Cause I'm on the beach or whatever. But like, <laughs> yeah, I know it's like the number one choice because it's so much nicer. You're in warm weather all the time. Yeah. You travel in the world, the warm places and surfing. And yeah, for me, you know, I grew up around a lot of pro surfers. Mm -hmm. Um, like, I mean, most of my friends that I still hang out with at some point were pro on the like, uh, world qualifying circuit or big pro big wave surfers. And just like, I'm still part of that circle of a lot of professional surfers. And I would say like, I didn't have what it took like back from a young <laughs> age. Like I, there was just something, the act of skiing, I was much more natural at my body was more adept at than mm -hmm. surfing, like surfing. I don't know exactly what it is of how your body movements and your disconnection from your upper body to your lower body. But for me, like it didn't work that well. It worked really well for skiing, but not for surfing. Mm -hmm. um, so like, of course, yeah, it'd be amazing to be a pro surfer. And I, I love surfing. It's like definitely my number two sport. But I actually like it at this point of being like just a pure kind of love. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we were talking about the professional side of things. Like it's nice to have a sport where you're just like doing it purely, purely for the passion. And you're just do doing it because that's all you want to do. Um, yeah, like I... I look at it and being like, well, it would have been nice, but I'm also like, no, I, w I wouldn't have been able to do it. And I don't think like, I, I, I just, I don't know, this lifestyle in the mountains kind of in, in, uh, drew me in much, much more than surfing. So, yeah. yeah, well, it's sometimes I look at you and Elise and you're you like diehard sports fanness of all sport. It feels like you guys are super into all sports. And I'm just like, I don't. I don't get it. Cause like, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, no, I, but we, we are a, it makes sense. We are a household. Of, I mean, there is pretty I'll much be like, sports Elise, what are you doing TV. today? She's like, it's football Sunday. I was like, what? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, Sundays are pancakes and football. That's what our Sundays are. And no, we are like, I mean, there's sports on our TV at all times. If it's, I, mean, I know it, we have ski racing on TV. It's tennis. It's, she's been watching figure skating lately. Well, I watched uh, figure skating last night. Yeah. And, and then it's football, basketball, baseball. I don't know why we're so obsessed with sports, but that's all we watch. Yeah. It's, I know it. I know it. It's nice that we can still be friends, even though I'm just like a total dud in that department. I know. I don't think <laughs> my me... dad wasn't really into it growing up. Like we would, he would have sports on sometimes when it's time for sports to be on, but like he never like cared too much. Yeah. So then I guess I never cared too much. 
Yeah, we care way too much. Yeah. And no one, like, yeah, no one up here in the mountains, under like, they're like, you're doing what? You have watched that much sports? You Sunday, you're not going skiing because you're watching football? And you're like, uh-huh, <laughs> the Niners are playing. <laughs> it's a big game. I sometimes watch the Niners just out of, like, sympathy for you guys to, like, oh, they're going to be happy if, like, I don't personally care really at all. I don't know who any of the players are. Like, I don't know anything. But I, like, watch – um, just as like solidarity to you guys. <laughs> awesome. Perfect. That's great. To, that's great to know. Um, so again, this one might be hard to avoid the S word, but I know you have been, um, in like a totally new training regimen over the last what year you're yeah. doing like uphill athlete deal. And I want to know like, Hey, is it like, is, is it working? Like, are you liking it? Yeah. So like I went into, when I went into kind of the, the 50 project, um, like I felt like it was a pretty adept at like touring and ski touring. And sure. as I started to get into it, I realized I had some pretty big limitations to it. And, um, last year I bought that book called the uphill athlete, a book by Steve house, who's an alpinist and climber, and it's very climbing and uphill specific training. And it had these kind of new thoughts of to training that I'd never heard about, which was, it's all heart rate based, uh, zone two. So it's like slow and low long. heart rate based. Yeah, yeah. Like low aerobic. You're never going like over a certain heartbeat and you go slow, but you go every day. And I started doing it by myself last year and then I noticed some results. And then this summer being that we were kind of home and not traveling at all, I felt like I was like, okay, I'm going to hire a coach from up- uphill athlete. And it was interesting because I realized in that first process was like my entire life from football to ski racing to skiing, I was always focused on like power and strength mm-hmm. and was like training with weights and like Olympic lifts and like as much uh, quick kind of agility and power as you could get. And all of a sudden this project is so endurance based. It was like, wait, I don't have those muscles nor ever trained my body to be like that. And so we all pretty much went through like a full training regimen for the last five months straight of readapting my body to endurance. And it was pretty incredible. Um, the results were, it's hard to see, um, but you see them after the course of like five months. And I, I tripled my heart rate efficiency. Hmm. Um, what does that mean? So essentially means like the whole goal with it is to transport more oxygen, um, through your blood system to your muscles at the same rate that you would before, but to get more oxygen to your blood, mm-hmm. uh, to your muscles. So that way it increases more endurance. So from there, um, the basis of the training is like, yeah, you're always in zone two. You're always like, you're below your aerobic threshold. So it's that the aerobic threshold is when oxygen, your, your system starts to transport and set or starts to, um, work off sugars as opposed to fats. So what you start to create lactic acid when you start going above your uh, aerobic aerobic threshold threshold, and then Mm -hmm. that creates soreness. Which would be like somewhere around 130 heart rates for like an average person. Exactly. You'd end up doing a test to begin with to 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 start. To find out what yours is. Yeah. yeah, And so it's anywhere from like 125 to 135 to start. Um, You kind of base it off. uh, You can base it off say like your age and some of your just basic physical abilities, but you can also do some tests. Uh, the tests are miserable, by the way. They're, it's absolutely <laughs> excruciatingly painful to do the tests, but it's a really good way. Are you way wearing to... like the masks in the No, like, or... 
it's like walking on a treadmill above your aerobic threshold, but for an hour and 15 Ew. minutes straight oh. until you're absolutely like you can't go anymore. And you're at this like you're at a slow space pace in a certain way, but you're just like dying. Oh, right. yeah. wow. And so it's like super boring, but you're absolutely dying, dying for too. like 30 minutes straight. Um, and I just can't stand treadmills. No. Um, they're so boring. So um, but I was able to like when I started off, I was at 130 for my aerobic threshold and now I'm at 145. Oh, wow. Yeah. And huh. it was pretty cool. Like my first day I went ski touring. I went ski touring with some friends and I was told them, I'm like, I am still on my training program. So I'll be slow today because mm -hmm. that's generally the and way. You're just watching your heart rate monitor the whole time. Keeping yeah, it low. Exactly. Just keeping, I base my speed entirely what about, off. Like for me, when it's, it spikes when I'm like in the horrible kick turn and it's going south and then I can't avoid a heart rate spike. Yeah, I'm totally. Pissed. And then you just kind of like <laughs> got to take a break and go really slow. And you're just like, you're trying to like do everything in your power to not get your heart rate to spike. Sure. And you really start to learn how to control your pace to get to, to never go above it. But of course you're going to go above it maybe for a couple seconds and then, but your average heart rate's going to be like in 130 for an hour or two hours or three hours. And, uh, I realized like that day when I went ski touring with friends, I was at my, or below my aerobic threshold and kept up with them you the entire the time. Wow. And I was like, Oh, so, so, it so it's working. And huh. yeah, I've just noticed like my endurance has gone up. Like I can get to the top of a couple hour tour and be like, still fresh feeling yeah. and then do another lap and do still you think that this training style is like do you think you're finding like a natural propensity for your for your body and your makeup or do you think like it was hard for you to get here because like I sometimes feel like bodies are maybe more like trending one way or it's easier for you to get to a different kind of fitness do you think this you're finally finding your like natural way you should be or do you think it's a little tough for you I think it's a little tough for me personally. I think I have like have done the muscle tests and I definitely have this like slow twitch slow twitch muscle Didn't fibers. Did you post something like you should have been like a boxer or what? didn't you post something about your natural like what you should have Yeah, like na I mean naturally it's like I'm 6'2" 190 pounds. Cuz like, that to me is not an endurance athlete no. body type at all. Like when I look at you like to me it that's not what I would think for your body. No, you look at most like mountain athletes and like uh, alpinists and climbers and whatnot. They're like twigs. They're like skinny, yeah. small, and you lend yourself to be a lot faster in the mountains when you're really small. And I have like some, I have limitations to that. I'm bringing a much bigger body up. Like mm -hmm. I have an extra 20 pounds in the pack compared to the other guy. And mm -hmm. so I have to bring that up. So it's actually been, I feel like a little difficult. Mm -hmm. The one good thing is because of my size, I also have a lot of storage capacity for energy. Mm -hmm. So if I can keep myself under my aerobic threshold, I can go all forever. day, forever. forever. And that's the one good side as I've seen. Um, I will bonk a little less than other people and I can kind of continue without fuel as like I, I put an analogy I'm like I'm a diesel truck like it takes <laughs> me a little bit to get going but once I get going and I'm like set at a pace I can do that all day long and be super efficient but I'm not a sprinter car that's going up the mountains but you know I'm gonna be like needing fuel every a half hour to continue to go up so like there's some good signs and downsides and like I've seen it with like how high um, altitude climbers, like kind of the bigger bodies end up doing better for right. that same sort of reason. So mm -hmm. there's certain things that I think are a benefit to being big, but then there's a lot of downsides. And I just realized like, I'll never be the fast guy in the mountains. I'll never be 
Killian running up sure. mountains. And I'm not trying to be like, I just want to be able to get up there efficiently. Um, want to move fast enough through the mountains to be safe, but not to like get an FKT or something right. like that. So, right. um, so for me, it has been kind of an uphill battle to kind of re-change the way my body works after those last 18 years of training one certain way, but totally. it's been really beneficial. That's, that would be like from on the outside watching you do that. That's what I would have would have guessed, you know, yeah. cause I think that I don't have a body that's naturally designed to that either, but no, there's a lot of people that don't like Elise is definitely not built that way. Um, you know, like when you have low blood pressure, you have fast twitch muscles, <clears throat> you don't, and you're small and have uh, low fat, like you don't necessarily have endurance as much mm -hmm. as you have speed and power. And that's why like Elise, she has a ton of power. She can stomp huge cliffs for her size and she's incredibly strong for her size. But when it comes to endurance, she doesn't quite have it and she needs fuel a lot more. She's more like a hummingbird compared to a, like a diesel truck. So, well, it's just cool to have the information to like do what you need to do to do what you want to do kind of thing, you know? Yeah. So I think and that's cool. That's what's great about this, this kind of training program too, is it's like taught me about my body and taught me like what I'm capable of and how fast I can go through the mountains with, and know that I'm like, Oh, I still got 12 hours of reserves. Or if I'm going at this pace, I can get up there at this pace in four hours sure. and, and then bonk at six hours or something <laughs> like that. So it's actually been a lot of like learning of your own capabilities along the way. And, um, it's not an easy training plan. Like it's, it's really boring, I yeah. would say. Like that's the the mental side of it of going slow, but going every day, like waking up every morning and going for a one to two to three hour run, hike, uh, doing some strength training and in between. And just like it was like every day. Mm -hmm. Um, it's really like it's that's pretty intense. It's a lot of time spent. So yeah, I had a pretty intense summer of training. I know. I like was like, let's go for a mountain bike ride. And at least like, oh, Cody's on like a four hour, you know, road bike or something. I was like, <laughs> I know. we'll go without him <laughs> i definitely did not do anything like fun when it came to that like i did not mountain bike this year because it's like mountain biking you your heart rate spikes you have steep short hills oh, i mean it's, mountain biking is the highest my heart rate ever gets I yeah, think. yeah by yeah. far so and, and then i was yeah i was on road bike and running and it's like elise was looking at me like what yeah. have you turned into i like to like mix it up but i think that something i've been trying to focus on more like lately is uh, sometimes I can be like too disciplined in my like fitness routine and trying to choose like for me, if there's a choice of something that's just like fitness based or if there's something with like an athletic element, mm -hmm. choosing the athletic thing, even if maybe it's not going to be as strength oriented or burn as many calories or whatever it might be like focus on like, is there an athletic element to this thing? Okay, then do that. Yeah. And like I think, even like choosing like golf sometimes or something where like I'm working on body mechanics and I would never consider golf a workout. But like if there's something I'm going to do with three hours of my day, like focusing on that like athletic kind of part. But that's I'm not also definitely not trying to do what you're trying to do. Well, I think even for like for like normal skiing and free ride skiing, like mountain biking is amazing yeah. for it because not necessarily the fitness, but because of the, like the body control, the, the quick, mental, yeah, the, I think it's the mental kind of like seeing your line and it's, everything's happening so fast and like staying, staying fresh that way. And, and like, yeah, being over your, your, over your skis and on your bike is like really important. So I think exactly like there's certain sports like that, that lend itself to free skiing for reasons more than just training your muscles. Totally. Um, all right. So right angle, I'm going to, so I don't know if people know this about you, but I know you are the most amazing chef. I know that's not like a professional cook of some sort. And I don't know if I, 
your mom, Peggy, actually told me a story. I've heard it secondhand over the years, but like apparently as like a child, you used to watch like the Food Network, like religiously. <laughs> tell me, tell me about like Cody, Chef Cody and like your cooking philosophy and where that comes from. Cause I swear the best meals I've had in someone's home, I've been at your house. Yeah. My, uh, hidden, uh, chef ability. So yeah, for some reason, when I was a kid, I was obsessed with cooking shows and, um, when I would obviously watch cartoons, but I would mainly watch like the Frugal Gourmet and Julia Child and like screw up watching like Food Network. And so like for some reason, I just was obsessed with cooking when I was a really, um, when I was a young kid. And then in high school, I was obsessed with food TV and reading cookbooks and reading like books about cooking. And um, like to this day, I've only been to one book signing in my life and I was 16 years old, 17 years old. And it was like an hour and a half away from San Cruz and it was a cook, um, Alden Ooh. Brown, oh. who is like my favorite, like <laughs> my favorite show by far, Good Eats. And he made it, he wrote, wrote a book and I like, I drove an hour and a half to go to a bookstore <laughs> to get him to sign my book. Like that's how obsessed I was with it. And then I was working in restaurants from a young age. And then I started to actually become, I worked as a cook and a chef at a restaurant. I was a chef at a restaurant I when I was that. 18. Um, so yeah, I'd like, I, for some reason, just like was absolutely obsessed with it when I was young. And so it's always been this like kind of back end passion um, for, for me. And I learned a lot when I was young, learned a lot of like the basic, like just mainly the techniques and not necessarily like the recipes, because I don't look at like cooking as like a recipe driven thing. It's more like, like if you, I always say recipes are directions and so someone says turn left here turn right there but if you like were to figure if you were to make one wrong turn then you're completely lost whereas like cooking is about the map and it's about how to adapt to things when things go wrong because mm. ultimately they always go wrong totally. and things are always having to adjust so like when i look at a cookbook and a recipe book i never follow it i kind of look at it and go okay this 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 is what they're going for and then you kind of adapt as you're on the fly and it's learning what food does when a heat is applied to it and mm -hmm. what the taste does and how it interacts with other flavors and stuff like that. So it's been a, I don't know, I, I love it. And um, luckily, Elise, she loves she loves to eat good food. <laughs> and uh, so we have like a good partnership where she she's kind of like quite often dreaming of the meals or getting inspired by it's looking amazing. at it. And then she does all the shopping and she'll come back and be like, yeah, I was thinking this, this, and this. I'm like, okay, and I'll put this together. Or sometimes she comes back with just like the full grab bag of stuff. And she's like, uh, this looked good. This vegetable looked good. This meal looked good. And I'm like, all right, I'll come up with something. And yeah. Yeah. So it's a really fun relationship. Oh, like it's that. like, I've been, I've shopped with Elise where she will like, she'll come home and she'll be like, so I've decided on halibut and polenta cakes or whatever. And she just, and then you just like whip up this like amazing, it's like, yeah, the, the fantastics eat well, or the, I don't know, isn't, are we calling you guys the fantastics anymore? I think I, that's kind of what we go by. I okay. know we haven't changed. Where did it come from? Cause well, sometime around like your wedding or. Yeah, it was a joke. Cause you know, the, uh, at least kept her last name as Sogstad and. Right. Um, well, obviously Townsend and she didn't take my last name and for reasons that are just like obvious of being a professional and building your name and whatnot. Right. But it was also like, I didn't, I don't really care. I don't care about that like patriarchal kind of style of like, no, the woman has to take the man's name and whatnot. <laughs> and so we were like, well, what if we end up having kids? What do we do? And we were like joking around. We're like, we'll just call them the fantastic <laughs> and we'll just take the last name, the fantastics. <laughs> and so and we are like, okay, cool. Let's go with that. And it's been a kind of running joke ever since then. I mean, that's just, how I refer to you guys. Yeah. But. 
anytime anytime you get a dinner invite from the Fantastics, drop everything and go to dinner. The I funny, mean, I swear to God, I like anytime Elise is like, do you guys want to come over to dinner? I'm like, yep, our schedule's empty. Like, <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> we'll be there. <laughs> the funny, the down part is I feel like we don't get invited to dinner very often with people. I would feel a lot of pressure to cook for well, you so guys. So that's where everyone feels pressure. And I'm like, no, no, we'd like, no, it's fine. Don't worry. But it's like we, and maybe it's a, it's a product of our own thing where we're always trying to like, like I want to create a good meal for friends right. that come over. Like I want to make something not to impress them on my cooking abilities, but you're just like, it's fun. I find it fun to cook something really good sure. and to have something where people are like, whoa, this is amazing. And so then we've always joked around, like it almost limits us because people are like, no, I'm intimidated. And right. I'm like, no, I'm, no. I'm taking this as a true challenge. I will invite you guys over to dinner and I'll just... I, yeah, because I, I, I we have never we never have you guys over because yeah I feel like I don't I can't because like I I do like to cook and I think really? I do actually cook pretty well but like not great I don't know maybe I just have a lot of people in my life that are great cooks so I'm just like I have my couple things but I do what you do where like with a recipe I like I end up like combining recipes and then mm-hmm. I can never remember what I did yeah and so then I go to do it again and I'm like I don't know during. During like quarantine, I did like really knock my own socks off a couple times. That's sweet. <laughs> what was your feeling. best quarantine meal? Yeah. Oh, best you... quarantine. Yeah. Uh, we came up with one that was incredible. That's made it into our staples, but it's um, tater tot waffles. Oh, I heard about this. Yeah, but it's like it's like the most gourmet comfort food you could ever have. So you just get like literally get tater tots and then like the frozen kind. Yeah. Frozen kind. You thaw them out, you grill them in your waffle press, waffle iron. Um, and then we would top it with this like Dijon cream sauce, prosciutto, um, cornichon pickles, arugula that's mixed with a little bit of lemon and oil. Um, and, I like, oh, it's so amazing. Like it wow. literally tastes like, I don't know, some French bistro food, but it's like tater made tots. out of tater tots. Oh it's just God. like the best comfort food. Wow. That was our kind of our quarantine discovery. We're like, this is like the most simple, amazing thing out of tater tots that you're like, it could be in a restaurant. It's so wow. good. I want to try that. Yeah, it's really good. I feel good. like maybe post-50 project, you should write a cookbook. Yeah, <laughs> make a cookbook, yeah. <laughs> I, I know, it's like people do. ask about, like, they're like, you should make a book about the 50. I'm like, well, the book's already out, and I've, I've more thought about it. I'm like, cookbook. I'd rather write a cookbook. Yeah, I'm voting for cookbook, big time. Yeah. But that's probably because I would actually read that book and follow it. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I feel like it'd be kind of cool, because they can bring it, like, there's a lot of inspiration for certain things that come from, like, like uh, Europe and from Japan, and, like, we cook a lot of different stuff we've been making a lot of um ramens lately mm-hmm. like um broths like from scratch you ramen. thai food too yeah and it's been really like kind of you know, like oh yeah i could take this because been to japan taste the stuff there and it's yeah. almost like the travels of, of mountain towns to make let's a find a per- agent whatever you need let's do it <laughs> totally cookbook <laughs> one day when the 50s someday end. someday the thing the thing i made during quarantine that i like loved and i, I don't really know how we're supposed to say this word but bolognese sauce bolognese mm-hmm. sauce how do we mm-hmm. say this a bolognese bolognese yeah i made it like real from scratch and honestly it's like five ingredients and you just cook it forever and yeah. you do all the steps and I was just blown away with myself. I could not believe how good it tasted. And it's honestly the, like actually nothing fancy going on. Totally. It's just when, like you're saying, you like use heat and time properly. And it's like literally, I could not believe how simple the ingredients are. And it's just, I, I like was obsessed. Yeah. Uh, the I found Italy is 
by far the best food I've ever had. And they're, they do that magic of it's super simple, done perfectly. Yeah. Like I remember being in Cormier and we went down to this restaurant on Hill. I was like a cabin in the middle of nowhere. If you asked me As where it, it was, I couldn't, I couldn't even guide you to where it was. But I remember at one course, we had like a 10 course meal and it was unbelievable. Whoa. And at one point they'd served like a half baked potato with salt on it and that's it. And it was the best potato I've ever had in my entire life. And I was like, this doesn't have sour cream, all the stuff we put on, you know, a baked potato. Bacon and it's bits. just like salt, oil, and potato. And you're like, how did you do three yeah. ingredients so perfectly <laughs> where it's so unbelievably tasty? And that's every time I've been to Italy, you realize like their food is incredibly simple, just done perfectly yeah. and the perfect combination of ingredients. And it's like, you, you, you realize like that's the best kind of cooking. And Ooh, I like that. I've never thought of it that way, but I totally. like that. There's a, there's a lot of cooking history that is, uh, you know, the French are known for French cuisine and the highest cuisine, but that it was all stolen from Italy. And Italy really? is like the real home of European food. And there's a lot of like evidence to that fact that Italy was like kind of the original European cuisine. And it's just kind of inspired from everything else from there. So mm. yeah, Italy. Now you make me want to go to Italy. I know. Oh, sorry. It's, Someday. Yeah, one day. <laughs> I know. Again, hopefully you let us in. So uh, another question, and we're, I guess we're getting close on our time, but um, I'm, st I'm stealing this question from our, a friend of ours, colleague, Hadley Hammer. She's started this thing called The Discourse. Have you heard of it? Mm -hmm. um, it's this cool website community where she's sharing her writing, giving writing prompts. It's awesome. And so she, I just did an interview with her, and she asked me a question that and now I want to ask you. What's sacred to you? And this kind of comes out of, a, of such a weird world right now where it just seems like nothing is sacred to anyone in some way. So then like that chance to reevaluate. And so I want to know what is sacred to you. And of course I know that the S word is probably the top of that list, but like maybe bigger than that or outside of that. Mm -hmm. Well, I think one of the things that was interesting about quarantine and the pandemic was that it really kind of, it took so much away from your normal life that you kind of really reevaluated what is sacred to you. And I think the two things that really came out of it without when they were kind of taken away is like one, it was just, the mountains and the outdoors when, you know, mm -hmm. the first lockdown is like, we weren't really supposed to be outside. Mm -hmm. And there was like, you're not, the ski areas were taken away. And it was just like being inside and not being able to go outdoors. You realize like how important that was to your own just mm -hmm. health, mental health, just like the connection with the, the natural world. You realize like how, how important that is to myself. Um, and I think it's why we went on the adventure in the mountain. Why it was just like, kind of like sitting in home, dreaming about just getting outdoors once again and going on like a big grand adventure just felt like so necessary. And the second thing is really, it's become like kind of community. I think that's what the biggest thing that's like taken away from us during, during this time is like the fact that we're not totally. able to hang out with friends very much. They're not have groups of friends for dinners, parties, and just like you're kind of that community aspect being taken away, I think has really caused a lot of one personal health issues, mental health issues. I think it's also taken, you know, it's divided a lot of people to just have that sense of community among people is really, it's essential to, I think, humans. I think we've adapted and are, we're evolved from like tribal structures and community kind of formats. And if we don't have that, we, I think we turn into pretty bad people. We become very self-serving. We become very just only thinking about what is good for you. And I think that's just a very dangerous thing for 
for us as humans. So Agreed. I think having to get back to that once this pandemic over, I think will be really healing for a lot of people, just the ability to gather. And I, I mean, the thing is like people, well, well, you've seen people breaking the rules and whatnot. It's not to go to a movie theater. It's to see it, each other. It's to see each other. It's True. to see your family, to see your community. And people at a certain way are, are willing to take the risk that they might die or, you know, their parents might get sick and die just to be with their family and community. And I think it's like, it's a hard thing to justify and you don't want that to happen. And it's like, people can scream like, what idiots. But at the same time, I also understand it because it's so, so important to us, I think, to have your your family and community around you. So those are the kind of two things I really realized out of this. Is yeah. Like, yeah. Community and the outdoors are kind of what drives everything. Totally. Right. I completely agree with that. And I answered the question kind of similarly. So someday I'll start recipe testing for when we can have an awesome dinner party for the fantastics. <laughs> totally. We're going to have like 20 people over and it's going to be amazing. And it'll be so someday. fun. Um, well, we're running out of time. I know you have to go, but usually we do two highs and one low of the last year of your life. So can you do like a quick two highs and one low, but not about the S word. Ooh, two highs and one low. I'd say... You know, it was actually a big high was just, you know, the the pandemic and the quarantine of how bad that was. And you can see like for a lot of relationships, it was really bad, but it really <laughs> brought Elise and I even closer together. And the yeah. fact that we're like locked inside for months on end and not going to day jobs and like our relationship has almost got stronger because of it. And we're That's like, amazing. it's really that was like kind of a high of it realizing like, yeah, we, like I saw friends that got divorced during this time. Mm -hmm. And I think there was a lot of like questioning during that time, but to come out of it and be like, no, we're so good with each other. We're and still like, fantastic. Yeah, we're still, <laughs> we're still fantastic. Then that's been like kind of a, a high in a, in a certain way. Um, you know, the low, I think it was just being, I think like everyone just being locked inside and not mm -hmm. being able to do anything and mm -hmm. not being able to, go i mean we for us skiers we the main part of the season was shut down i know that's trivial compared to sure. most problems that we have in our society um, and a lot of problems that people have but i think when you get something taken that is sacred to you away from you it's really tough to deal with mm -hmm. and i think everyone experienced it in some sort of way so um those are probably the highs and the lows yeah yeah well um I guess we're just gonna have to save story for next time we come on the podcast because yeah. we gotta go. But where can uh, if you have a quick story you can tell it. But if not, um, there's two. I could, wait, I could go a quick one. Okay. So, um, and it's actually related to Warren Miller too, and oh. it's sort of ski focused. But um, so most people probably now know that I like I stunt doubled for Vin Diesel and Triple X. Yeah, skiing in the I jungle. I watched that movie just because of that, and I do not like those kind of movies. <laughs> <laughs> I watched that movie just because of that too, because I was in it. Um, and you can watch it; it's in the opening scene, and then you can turn it off. And you it's ski great. through the jungle. Ski through the jungle, the Dominican Republic. It was absolutely ridiculous, but. Um, in a Warren movie, Warren Miller movie once, I had actually Laird Hamilton stunt double for me. And yeah, so <laughs> we were in the, it's the weirdest thing. And it, I mainly, it wasn't so, it was a little subtle, but it played off to look like it was me. And so everyone thought I was doing what Laird Hamilton was doing. Surfing, obviously. No. no. So we were in the Todrilo Mountains. It was the first year that the Todrilo Mountain Lodge opened. And, um, 
he is an absolute nutball. He's just a maniac. Sure. And it was like minus 10 degrees out. There's a frozen lake. And he would go running across the lake barefoot and in board shorts when it was like minus 10 Fahrenheit out. And then he, at one point, like there's this like kind of creek covered over with ice and he took an ax and was like breaking open the ice and jumping into the creek and whatnot. And then jumping in the lake and just being like an absolute madman. Like his, (laughs) he would come back inside and his feet were bleeding because they were so frozen and cut up from like running in the snow and jumping in ice. And so they put that in the movie, like they had me talking and then they put this like big blonde guy running through the... (laughs) through the the snow and jumping in the lake and breaking up ice and being a madman. And then they cut back to me. So everyone was like, what were you doing, Cody? And I was like, uh, um, <laughs> that was, uh, yeah, that was, that was cold. I, yeah, it was real cold. So, so That's so funny. Yeah, oh, God. Laird Hamilton stunt doubled for me once. Um, well, God, he was so ahead of like the whole Wim Hof craze. He, well, yeah, he's just a madman. Sure. So, yeah, he was, an, he's a nutball. Sure. Well. That's a pretty good story. Laird Hamilton's come up on this podcast a couple of times, believe it or not. Yeah. He's just I mean, a man that gets around. He is a man that gets around. Um, well, thank you for coming over and being on the show. And for people to keep following you, where do they find you? Uh, well, on YouTube, um, there's the 50, if you search that. Or it's my YouTube channels under my name, Cody Townsend. Um, or Cody Townsend on Instagram, all the socials. CodyTownsend.com, which is getting redesigned right now. So, mm, yeah, so I'm, I'm pretty easy to find. Yeah, just Cody Townsend. Like we said, you're such a big deal right now. So hot. So I can find you all over the internet. All over the internet. <laughs> I'm super big on the internet. <laughs> well, Cody, thank you so much. Uh, wonderful to see you. And um, for all of you guys listening, I'm, of course, at Amy Ski on Insta. Send me your notes, your comments, all that stuff. I really love hearing from you guys. I hope that you guys are enjoying winter, whatever it looks like where you are. Um, And we will catch you next time on Long Underwear. Well, friends, this will be the final chapter in the Long Underwear podcast. Thank you all for listening and for joining us on this really fun journey. I appreciate each and every one of you. I hope you'll all come out. Join me on the road at one of the Warren Miller shows for this year's feature film, Winter Starts Now. Don't miss out on exclusive perks when you join Outside Plus and level up your Warren Miller experience with free and discounted tickets, early access, the best seats, and more, including more than 47 films that are available for streaming anytime online. Find out more or join at warrenmiller.com slash Outside Plus. Thank you, friends. From the bottom of my heart, I will see you out at a show or out on the slopes. Yoo-hoo!